Good morning, everybody. Again, it's good to see you. Uh, today we are going to camp in the book of Jonah. And so I would invite you to take out your electronic Bibles or take out your hard, actually paper Bibles or whatever it is, and turn to the book of Jonah. We're going to be in, mostly in chapter 4 today. We're going to back up just a little bit for a couple things. But I thought that today, since we are celebrating, caring for, praying over our kids and teachers and all school personnel as they, they begin to go back to the school year, that I thought it might be fun for us to go back to a book that many of us, or for sure many of our kids, have read as we begin this final chapter in Jonah. Now, a lady by the name of Judith Vorst wrote a popular children's book called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Now, how many of you have read that book before? Oh, yeah, a lot of people. I was actually surprised. More adults than kids. <laughs> terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. It's a story about a little boy whose day starts out bad and goes downhill from there. He gets gum in his hair. He gets his sweater wet in the sink, which is the worst. And he trips over the skateboard and doesn't get a prize at the bottom of his box of cereal. Yeah, it's a big deal. He could tell that this was going to be one of those terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. Then he goes to school, and the teacher doesn't like his drawing of an invisible castle. He doesn't get a dessert in his lunch bag, and his best friend, well, doesn't want to be his best friend anymore. And after school, his mom takes him and buys him plain white sneakers not the cool ones with the red and blue racing stripes on them. His dentist finds a cavity. Yep. There are lima beans for dinner. And he gets soap in his eyes when he takes his night bath. In frustration, he says, I think I'll just move to Australia. See, when, if you're like me, you can relate to the story. Right? We've all had those days like Alexander, days when people treat you unfairly. Nothing works out the way we want it to. We think one thing should happen and another thing does. The boss questions our work. We lose control of our day's plans, and the lawnmower just stops working in the middle of the lawn. Our day is completely and utterly ruined, a no good, very bad day. We've seen Jonah's ups and downs as we've studied the book of Jonah. He's good days and bads. We've watched him as he's wrestled with God and perhaps can even relate to some of those wrestlings he has had, some of those concerns and frustrations that he has had. But beyond those struggles, we've also read some, I think, some amazing things from this book. I believe it's amazing how a prophet who knew the one true God would attempt to run and hide from his presence. Whenever I read that, I think that's amazing. I believe it's amazing that God, who would pursue Jonah, he'd use a great storm and the courage of, of some heathen sailors to awaken his integrity. I think it's amazing that God would, would save Jonah from drowning and bring him to repentance by keeping him in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights and then puke him up on shore near Nineveh. I think that's amazing. And then, through the preaching of this prodigal prophet Jonah, it's amazing that the entire city of Nineveh 
from the king on down, brought to his knees and repents, sparing the city from the wrath of God. I think it's amazing. See, Jonah preached, and people, they responded and repented. We read in Jonah 3, 4 through 5, this is where we're backing up just a few minute moments. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people, they were like, whoa, I, we believe God. They turned. As Tim Keller states in his book, The Prodigal Prophet, the summary of Jonah's sermon was not that they might be overthrown. The summary is that they shall be, that they would be overthrown. That is what Jonah enthusiastically wanted and predicted. He enjoyed preaching wrath. He loved it. He did it with, 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 with glee, no tears, because he could not wait for the hammer of God to come down on the people of Nineveh. He was ready for that. He was ready for that. See, Nineveh, remember, was the capital of a powerful ancient Assyrian empire located right now, like in modern-day Iraq, right? These Assyrians were known for their aggressive behavior, their brutality in warfare, which led to conflicts and conquests of lots of different nations, including the nation of Israel. Jonah's anger toward the Assyrians was due to their historical mistreatment of his people and, and their potential threat to his country. Jonah was, after all, a patriot. He loved his country. Never lost that. So he was not thinking kindly about the Ninevites at this moment. And this is where we're going to pick up in the story of Jonah chapter 4, a very successful preaching prophet whose story continues, I think, to bring about and share some amazing, amazing events. So picking up, uh, we're going to pick up one verse back, verse three, uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 10 through uh, 4, 2. Here's where we go. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Okay? But, love the word but here, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. It, it, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said, what I said when I was in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Have you ever witnessed or perhaps experienced a temper tantrum? Yeah? Moms, dads, yeah? We've seen it, right? Right in the middle of the story. Right like at Christmas time when there are a million people there watching. Your child is on the floor and they're pounding their, their hands and their feet. They're flailing their arms. They're screaming at the top of their lungs. They may throw things or, or, or sling things at people or maybe they get creative and they do all of that stuff. They're having a tantrum, temper tantrum. And the reason they're doing that is because they want their own way. Right? They want their own way. In today's text, we see Jonah having a temper tantrum because he wants his own way. 
So in verse 1, we read this. Again, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. Jonah is angry. Here he is. He has finally done what God wanted him to do, was to bring a message to the Ninevite people, albeit he went a long way around that process. But he got there, and Jonah has just preached one of the most successful revivals in history. And as a result, the whole city of Nineveh, from the king on down, repented. And because they repented, God spared the city. And Jonah he pouted. This was not what Jonah wanted to see happen. It was, in fact, the worst day ever. So Jonah's response was to fold his hand, stick out his lower lip, pout, and pitch a fit. Jonah was angry at God, not because of some mistaken perception about who God is, but because of a true perception about who he is. Our God has astounding compassion for us. Notice that Jonah was saying, I knew you would be gracious and merciful. In the New, New Living Translation, we read, merciful and compassionate. Throughout this whole book, we see the heart of God toward people and his love for us all. But Jonah was like, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it, I told you those people were bad, and so what's up with this God? Ugh! So quoting from the book of Exodus 34, Jonah says, I know you're gracious, God. And he starts listing out all those characteristics of God and saying this is, this is why I fled, Jonah is saying. Those are all great things for every, for, those are all great things, they're amazing, but not for those people. Jonah knows God's heart. He knows his character. But when God chooses to display his gracious character and his, his astounding compassion toward the Ninevites, that's a no-go for Jonah. Now, this is where I'm going to pause for a station identification. Sometimes I think we're really quick to point out all the bad stuff about Jonah. But we need to pause a minute and ask some questions and give him a break. We're quick to point out his tantrum, right? But we have the benefit of hindsight. We could read the whole book of Jonah. We can read, every, we can read in, in, time and time again in Scripture we get, that, we, get that, we get that backstory. We understand it. He should have known better, yes. But don't we do this at times as well? Shouldn't we know better? When things don't go our way, when God doesn't seem to answer us, and when we don't get what we want, don't we tend to question and complain as well? Don't we sometimes feel like Jonah when, when things just don't seem fair to us? I think we sometimes feel like God should not prosper one group of people over another group of people. We feel like God's judgment should rain down on those who don't see things the way we see it, who don't think, do things the way we want it done, who don't believe exactly the way we believe. And when he doesn't rain fire down on them, well, we're like, are you kidding me, God? Can't you see how evil they are? We're reminded in Psalm 145, 8-9, that the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. He is good to all. No matter what side of the fence you live on, no matter what side of a policy you land on, no matter how mean you are, to, someone was to you. And this is hard. When people are mean to you, it's hard. I get it. I have the t-shirt. I understand that. 
And I struggle with this too. I, got, I, I, I get it. But no matter what you've done or who's wronged who, God is still a, a astoundingly compassionate toward us all. Amen? That's God's character. That's, that's who he is. Reading now from Jonah 4, 3 through 4, we see that God is also amazingly patient with both Jonah and us. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Honestly, how many times have we complained to God about this and that? How many times have we asked him why and gotten mad? God could have yelled at Jonah and told him, dude, if you don't knock it off, I'm coming down there. But he didn't do that. After all, Jonah was, he was so full of hatred toward these people. God patiently asks instead, should you really be angry about this, dude? Who are you to get angry? Who, who are we to get angry when things don't go our way, when God doesn't do what we want him to do? See, Jonah, he praised God's love and compassion when he, when he was rescued from the sea. He loved it when he received it. He deplores it when the Ninevites get the same deal. It makes me so unhappy, I just want to die. He wants, his, he wants his way, his word, and his perspective to rule the day, not God's. I think we have a similar problem. From our view of history, we want justice. We want our wrongs avenged. After all, we've got whole movies and series of TV shows with Avengers in them. We want God to take out those who wrong us. We want God to do what we want him to do. See, it isn't that Jonah misunderstands God. He just doesn't like what God's saying. He, doesn't, he disagrees with him. He wants forgiveness for himself. He just doesn't want it for those who had or would or could harm him or his people. And I get it. But we're reminded in 2 Peter 3, 9, that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come and reach repentance. Aren't you glad about this? Aren't you glad that God is patient with you? I know I'm glad he's patient with me. That no matter how many times we might argue, disagree, complain, scream, get mad at God, no matter how many times that we have our own tantrums or fall to our sinful ways, that he is amazingly patient with us, with me. I know I am thankful for that. Our God is a great big God, and he knows our struggles and concerns and forgives us in our struggles and when we fall. This is who our God is. The Israelites, they wandered the desert for 40 years. But God was patient with them time and time and time again. He continued to provide and guide despite their repeated complaints and rebellions. King David of Israel, he made significant moral mistakes. Yet God's patience with David is evidenced in the fact that he forgave him again and again and again and called him a man after his own heart. And the Apostle Peter denied Jesus three times during the events leading up to the crucifixion. And despite Peter's betrayal, Jesus showed patience 
and love and restored him. Our God, he is amazingly patient with us. And when Jonah complains about God uh, saving the Ninevites and that he just wants to die, which is really dramatic, God calls him on it. Is it right, he said? See, I'm sure that God asks us similar questions when we think our way is better than God's. But are we listening? Basically, God is saying here, Jonah, they did not know. Those people, they didn't know. They didn't know they were living in sin. They were ignorant of who I am. They were ignorant of my ways. But now they know. But now they know. And they have repented of their sins. And I've turned away from my wrath. But buddy, but buddy, you still have not repented of your sins. And I'm being amazingly patient with you too. So dude, why are you angry? See, it's, I think it's easy to seek and experience God's love and forgiveness and patience with our own mistakes, but harder still to see God give it to those we feel are unworthy of it. We fail to see our own faults and sins, but quick to point them out in others. Well, as we read this, we, there's really no response from Jonah, I, but I can imagine some grumbling as he turns and walks away. But our God is patient, amazingly patient. In the next couple of verses, we also see he is a God who relentlessly pursues us, even when we walk away from him. Reading from Jonah 4, 5 through 6. So Jonah went out to the city and sat to the east of the city and, and made a booth for himself there. He sat under some shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it to come up over Jonah that it might provide him some shade for his head to save him from some discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad about that plant. He loved that plant. That was amazing. See, Jonah leaves the city, builds a shelter, and goes and waits to see what God is going to do. He's hoping beyond hope that God is going to smite them. He's going to take them out. But our God is all about changing our hearts and pursuing a relationship with us. He pursued the Ninevites and sent them a prophet. He pursues Jonah to see his heart change as well. And he's all about pursuing us to see our heart change as well. God is not willing for our hearts to remain unchanged. God continues to work within us to bring about a heart change, an attitude adjustment, a retuning of our lives, if you will, so that the worldview of God's mimics the, our own worldview, that we are in tune with what God wants to see happen. See, no matter where we go or what we do, God loves us and continues to pursue us. He uses circumstances that surround our lives to bring change to our hearts, something we all need. God brings comfort in times of trials to remind us that He is there. He is there. God brings people into our lives to comfort us and care for us and lift us up when struggles become intense. He brings shade when we feel scorched by life. Jonah was so happy for the relief of that plant and that touch of shade, I could almost feel him go, whew, finally, things are going my way. God is trying to show Jonah that his grace, his love, his mercy, his compassion, his patience, his relentless pursuit of his heart is not just for him, though. It's for all. 
How often do we want compassion for ourselves and yet fail to ask for it for others or celebrate it when it comes? How often are we thankful to God whose love pursues us but question whether or not he ought to give them a second chance? But just as God ordains a shade, he also ordains his withdrawal. And God continues to work in Jonah's heart as we read in Jonah 4, 7 through 9. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm to attack the plant, and so it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind of the sun to beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than live. And God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for this plant? Hmm. And he said, Yeah, yeah, I do well to be angry for this plant. As a matter of fact, angry enough, I want to die. He loved that leaf, that plant, so much for what it could do for him. He loved God's compassion for what it meant for his life, but he struggled to see it for them. And so, why does he want to die now? He wants to die because his plant died. His circumstances changed, and Jonah is furious. He liked that plant, and he really enjoyed its shade, but God sent a worm to kill it, and Jonah was so angry. So, so angry. But you know, we get angry sometimes too, don't we? What are some things that we get angry about? Well, perhaps when we think that God owes us something, we find him guilty when he doesn't give it to us. Perhaps we get angry with God when we think someone else is unworthy of a blessing that they received. Or perhaps we get angry when God takes away a blessing from us, which we don't think he should do. Or perhaps when God doesn't do what we want him to do in the time we establish in the way we ordain. See, it's exhausting to be exposed to the harshness of the sun and the wind as well as the harshness of the broken world. Yet, it is, it is where our world seems upside down or when it seems upside down and broken that we've come to, and we've come to the end of ourselves that we are more open to God's work in our lives, more open to change. It is here where, where I think God pursues us and works on our heart, in our lives, drawing us to Himself as we reach for our Savior. And maybe, just maybe, we see ourselves and the world around us more clearly the way God wants us to see it. As Tim Keller states, God does not just accept Jonah and leaves him alone. He does not allow Jonah to remain undisturbed in his foolishness, wrongful attitudes and beliefs and behaviors. God instead sends a storm, a fish, a plant, and a hot wind. He commissions him again and again, and in the end even counsels and debates Jonah directly. Here we see God's righteousness and his love working together. He is both too holy and too loving to allow Jonah to stay where he is. But God is also too holy and too loving to allow us to remain where we are. And so, in his still small voice, or perhaps even in a loud roar, he calls us to change and align our hearts and invites us 
to let him be God. See, in his relentless pursuit of us, we also note that God is remarkably merciful. In Jonah 4, 10 through 11, the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow. It came up in the night and perished in the night. And should I not pity Nineveh, a great city where there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left hand, and also much cattle. I love the ending. And also much cattle. And so the book of Jonah ends in a rather unusual way. It ends with a question and no response. It's like a mini-series that you watch on TV and don't get to see the ending of it. It ends in a way that leaves us pondering our own thoughts and attitudes, causing us to check our own heartbeat for people. But it ends up in a remarkable way. It ends challenging Jonah about the condition of his heart and challenging us as well. You care about the plant, but what about all the people and the animals? God is saying, Jonah, look what you're saying. You did not cause the plant to grow, and yet you loved it. You did not cause Nineveh to grow, and let you, want, you despise it. You want it destroyed. And Nineveh has 120,000 people in it who don't know they're left and the right. They don't know they're good and bad. They don't know this. In other words, they're ignorant about me and my ways and who I am, Jonah. They do not know the God you know. Which begs the question, I think, as we live our lives, do we show the God we know to people around us? Do we live our lives in a way that reflects the character of God? God says to Jonah, they do not know good from evil. Yet if you had to choose between people and a plant, you'd really pick the plant? What? Shall I not be concerned about this great city? I feel like that's a mic drop spot. What a great question. His remarkable mercy on display. So what of Jonah? Well, we don't know. That what makes this interesting. We don't know what happened. We don't know if God got through to his heart. We don't know if Jonah repented. We don't know if Jonah learned his lesson. We just don't know. End of story. But we can see throughout this entire story the depths of God's mercy. A people who were just plain evil given a second chance of salvation through the words of a reluctant prophet. A prophet who could just not see the true heart of God for all people yet being the recipient of it himself. See, God is for us all. Our God is remarkably merciful to us, to you and to me. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad he's willing to give you a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance? Oh, the cattle? I was going to mention this. Um, you know, while God loves people, and desires a relationship with us. He loves his entire creation, including the cows. See, I believe the story is reminding us to stop looking at and focusing in solely on ourselves and our own comfort and our own preferences, but instead to focus on the things that matter to God, to look outward to a city, a nation, a country, a world who doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't know the truth, the love, and the joy of that relationship. We can be reminded today of the depths of God's love for us. See, he sent his only son to die for us because he loves us. And all who believe in Jesus Christ will live 
His grace and mercy flow over us and pride and forgiveness for our life. Jonah's story shines a light on the character of our loving God and shows his astounding compassion, his, his amazing patience, his relentless pursuit of for you and for me, and his remarkable mercy for us all. What an awesome God we serve. So I ask you today, as you sit here and ponder the story of Jonah, what are you concerned about? And what do you think God's concerned about? And friends, are they the same? And if they're not, may may have some hard work to do. See, God's concerns do not change. And he is on mission to change your heart and my heart. He is not so much concerned about where you are or what you do, but instead about who you are deep down inside of you. The question, perhaps, is not where God can use me the most, but maybe it should be, where can God change me the most? I, um, I ran across a story I heard about a Korean pastor named David Yangi Cho. Until his death, Pastor Cho was a pastor of the largest church in the world. As his ministry developed and it became much more international, he told God, I will go anywhere you want me to go except Japan. He hated the Japanese. It was a gut, deep, loathing hatred because of what the Japanese troops had done to his Korean people and to members of his own family during World War II. The Japanese were his Ninevites. And through a combination of, of prolonged inner struggles and several direct challenges from others and finally an urgent and starkly worded invitation, Pastor Cho felt called to go preach in Japan. He went, but he went with much bitterness. The first speaking engagement that he was at was a pastor's conference where there were a thousand Japanese pastors there. And Pastor Cho stood up to speak. And what came out of his mouth was this. I hate you. I hate you hate you. And then he broke and wept. At first, one by one, and then two, and then all 1,000 pastors stood to their feet. And one by one, they walked up to Pastor Cho and knelt at his feet and asked for forgiveness for what his peop- their people had done to him and his family, his people. And this went on and on. In that moment, God changed David Yangi Cho. The Lord put a single message in his heart and his mouth. And the message was this. I love you. I love you. I love you. God changed his heart. And he wants to change ours as well. Our God is for us all. Sometimes God's love calls us to do things or go places or or be involved in things that we don't want to do, but it reveals what's really going on in our hearts. How powerful is the blood of Jesus Christ? It can heal hatred between different peoples. It can call us to repentance as we search our heart for those things that are not of God. It can make us, it can make a Jew 
love a Ninevite, and it can turn hatred into love and grace as the worship team comes. I ask you this. What is God saying to you this morning? What is he asking of you today? Are there people around you that you struggle with? Have you had heart issues that you need to give to God? And I get these struggles and I get these frustrations. I had to ask myself this time and time again as I worked on this message, what is in my heart, God, that doesn't need to belong there anymore? What do I need to give up? What do I need to give away? What do I need to lay it down? What is it today that is going on inside of you? Have you accepted his compassion, his patience, his mercy from the God of the universe who is pursuing a relationship with you because he loves you, he loves you, he loves you. Will you pray with me? Father God, we just pause in this moment to thank you for loving us thank you for loving all of us, God. For thank you for calling and for help, for searching our hearts, God, and calling us to repentance and things that don't belong there. God, thank you for loving us when we have wrong ideas or wrong attitudes or we, we are frustrated with people. Whatever it is, God, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for your, your amazing patience and compassion. How much and how deep you love us. And God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. God, I thank you today for those who are here. Father, I know not what each person is experiencing in this room. God, but I know there are people who are struggling right now with heart issues. God, people who are struggling to to love their neighbor. People who are struggling to love family members. People who are struggling to love work, work members. God, people who are struggling. And God, I just ask that you draw near to them. Point those things out in their heart, God. Do some business with us today, I pray. And God, if there's somebody in this room today who is listening to us online or whoever that does not know your son, Jesus, God, I ask you speak in that still, small voice or scream if you must to get their attention, to draw them to you, to draw them to your son who died for us, I pray in his name, in Jesus' precious name, because he loves us, he loves us, he loves us.